for all he's done for us. We don't even realize all that he's done. He has done more than we could imagine or dream, and he still desires to show himself strong on your behalf because he loves you. And so God is so good. We never, ever, ever have to doubt him because he is faithful, faithful, faithful. Amen? Let's give him praise. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, if you would take a minute and greet the people around you, and then you can be seated. Again, I just want to take a moment and uh, thank Shelby and Gabe for all that they do. <clears throat> and, you know, they could do the most excellent job, but if the people up there didn't do what they did, it still wouldn't be as effective as it is. So, you know, it takes everybody. All of us have a part, and when we all do our part, then God is able to have his way, and that's a good thing. Also, um, Mickey, I just want to thank you for the encouragement today. That was a really... Personally, that was really insightful and impacting for me, so thank you. You know, we, we, if we just look and listen, God will be there and, and speaking to us and encouraging us uh, in, in, in every situation and circumstance. And I, um, last few days, I've gotten all sorts of calls from people going through all sorts of things. I mean, really tough stuff. Uh, and I'm hearing more and more of that. It's just part of kind of what's happening in these days. And uh, I, I want to share a story with you about um, a situation that happened with a person in this congregation uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, to kind of set the story, there was a husband and wife that were going to doctor's appointments um, at the same time in two different locations. And both of them, within minutes, got the diagnosis that they both had cancer. Uh, the husband had a very rare form of skin cancer that was really aggressive. The wife had a form of lung cancer. And on top of that, the wife's brother, uh, just days after that, was diagnosed with a stage four type of cancer. And this rocked their world. I mean, it just, and as it would any of us. But we've got to realize that no matter what we face, no matter what we encounter, uh, as children of God, we don't do it alone. God is there, and God does care, and God can do so much more. And, and this couple are our believers. But again, all of us get, get shaken at times. And God had been, been speaking to a person in this congregation to... Um, just go visit the husband. Didn't know anything about this. Went in and, and uh, just asked, how you doing? And the husband became very transparent, more transparent than ever with, with a member of this congregation and, and, and explained what was going on. And uh, in that moment, God really um, used that person to encourage the husband to look to God, to trust in God, and prayed with, with uh, him. And then he was going to Boston two days later to have surgery for uh, this cancer. They uh, couldn't wait and needed to go. And uh, this person went back and, and sat and prayed with, with the husband and just encouraged, reminded him of what the Word of God says. Um, 
the result was they came back from Boston and he had this amazing report that they had gotten all the cancer. They had removed every bit of it and were certain that he wasn't going to have any problems. The wife started her chemo the next day after they got back. They did a PET scan and found out that the chemo was very localized and they, they were very confident that the chemo would take care of it and eradicate it. And they realized they had had a miracle from God. And that is, that is awesome. Um, but they also realized that as they struggled, they needed somebody to come alongside them to refocus and remind them of who God is and what, what he would do. And, you know, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, in the New Living Translation, this won't be up on the screens, it says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of the Lord's return is drawing near. What these people needed, even in their relationship with God, they needed somebody to encourage them somebody to refocus them and realign them to, to look to God and trust in God and, and have a confidence in God no matter what they were facing, no matter what they were hearing, no matter what they were feeling. And the days we live in, it is so necessary for us to do that in our own lives. You know, the, the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord when things were going really bad. And we need to encourage ourselves, but we also need to be encouragers of others. And if we don't have encouragement, we can't give encouragement. If we don't have hope, we can't give hope. And we've been learning about hope and how important it is. Um, hope is not a questionable outcome. It's a confident expectation of good, of what God is going to be able to do. Because what God does, and the only thing that God does, is good. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from him, that God is good all the time, and there's no variableness or shadow of change. And, and so we can count on God. We can be confident in God. But part of the challenge of us in these days is we face all sorts of things, and it almost seems like once we get hit with one, there's another one on its way. And we've got to be built up and strong enough that not only can we stand in the midst of these rapid-fire attacks and battles that we have, and please understand that in these days, the battles are not going to become less. They're going to become more. And that's, that's what the Bible tells us. But we don't have to be concerned about that because the one that we stand with and the one who stands with, with us and for us has never been defeated and will never be defeated. And we can have a confidence in that. And so we've, we've been learning about this, but we need to learn it not just for us, but for the people around us. There is a whole world around us that is in such hopeless situations, so overwhelmed, uh, so uh, disturbed and distraught, stressed out. And they need, they're looking for some sort of stability, some sort of security, and, and looking in all the wrong places. And we... We who are God's people have the answer. And today we're going to continue on, on this series about being hope-filled. And we're going to look at uh, anchors because hope is an anchor. But we're going to start out in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Uh, and before we go there, let's just pray. If you'd bow your heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence. There's no place we can go that you're not there. But Father, oftentimes we... We are in situations and circumstances and locations and uh, we just forget that you're with us and for us. But Father, today help us. Help us to receive what we need to become what you have for us to become and do what you have for us to do. Lord, I thank you that you said you would confirm your words with signs and wonders following. We thank you for your word that's truth that will cause freedom and liberty and salvation. We thank you, Father, for your word that is life and health to those who find it. Lord, we pray today that there would be people that would be healed physically and emotionally and mentally and relationally. That, Father, the attacks that are going on are just 
one wave after another, but Father, we know you're greater than the waves. Lord, that you still the waves and the storms. And so we thank you that in the midst of all of this, you will keep us and cause us to overcome. Lord, we thank you that your word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We thank you for illumination that reveals what's really truthfully going on and revelation that would cause us to experience transformation, that we would truly go from glory to glory. And so, Father, we thank you for the good work that you've begun in us, that you are faithful to complete. And, Father, help us to always remember that you'll never force us, but you always want us to partner with you to fulfill your will in us and through us. And we give you all the praise and the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. The foundational scripture, uh, one of them is Romans chapter 15, verse 13, where it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound by the bound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This hope, a confident expectation of good, this should be something that is so alive in us because God lives in us. The God of hope lives in us. And so hope should be ever present, ever flowing, ever overflowing in our lives so that not only do we face things with great expectation of good, but people around us will be encouraged and we can encourage them as they look to God and trust in God to have hope also. Because in these days, it's almost like being in the ocean where the waves come one after another after another. The things that we we are exposed to and that are happening in our society and happening in our lives and in our families and in, in our friends' lives uh, and in people that we just are acquaintances with. It's just one after another. But we don't have to be knocked down and taken under by these waves because there's a greater one that lives in you. And, and this hope that we have in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 is an anchor. But this anchor that we have, it's what holds us steady. But what holds us steady, if an anchor is put into sand, how well does it hold? You know, the effectiveness of the anchor is, number one, based on what the anchor is and the, also what the anchor is placed in. And we have got to realize that anchor is hope. And what is our hope placed in? You know, we have, to, we have to have something solid that will hold our hope. And we talked about this, that, that faith is a substance of things hoped for. There's a faith that is involved. That's why we saw in that first scripture in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, that the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace in believing. There's a part that you have. There's a part that God has. I have a part. God has a part. God will not do our part. And we cannot do God's part. And the reason why God won't do our part is because he wants a partnership. He wants you and me to rely on him, to trust in him, to connect with him, to hold fast to him. And know that he's holding fast to you, that, that he'll never let you go. But these anchors are so important. And, and because these anchors are are what hold us fast, and these anchors are founded in faith, and our faith comes by hearing by the Word of God, where when we come to that place of knowing what the Word of God says and seeing what God has done in, his, in the Scriptures, we know who God is, we know His character, and we also know His promises and provisions. And those are the very things that will hold us secure in these days. And uh, I told you last week we were going to go to Acts chapter 27 and, and look at the life of Paul. Now, understand that Paul was used by God in so many amazing ways, but it wasn't always easy. It wasn't always comfortable. It wasn't always pleasant. Paul went through a lot of things, but he was willing to go through it because he loved God and he also loved people and, and wanted to be used by God to impact people's lives. And there was a situation that occurred where Paul was thrown in prison. He was beaten. He was falsely accused and thrown in prison and didn't think he was going to get a fair trial because they were trying to kill him. And he appealed to Caesar because Paul was a Roman citizen. We, we 
find out that Paul was a Roman citizen in Acts chapter 22, uh, verse 25 and 28. Now, he, he was a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. And it was illegal to beat or restrain or imprison a Roman without due process. And it was punishable by either imprisonment or beatings and imprisonment. And so Paul, Paul appeals to Caesar, and so they're, they're going to take him to Caesar. And he is on his way to Caesar, and this is what we find out in Acts chapter 27, that uh, they had been sailing towards Rome. And as they were sailing towards Rome, uh, it was hard going because it was, it was beginning to be the winter time, and it wasn't a good time for them to be sailing at all. Um, but they, they ended up going into an area that they thought was going to be a safe harbor. And as they did, uh, the centurion that was in charge of, of Paul and of all the other prisoners, over 200 prisoners, um, they, were, they were trying to catch an, another ship that would take them to Rome. And the centurion was looking for another ship and found one, and Paul said, don't go. Don't take this ship because there's going to be loss of life and loss of ship. And the centurion in, in this first part of chapter 27 uh, listened to the captain of the ship, the boat owner, and the majority of people. Now, how many of you know that's what we would probably do? If we, if we were hearing from Paul and hearing from a captain, a ship owner, and a lot of people that seem to be somewhat in agreement, wouldn't we be kind of spurred and, 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 and encouraged to listen to all of them and do what they have? You know, a lot of times we listen to so-called experts, people that have a lot of experience. We go with the crowd. And so the centurion did that, and they began to sail. Now, I want you to understand, Paul didn't know a whole lot about sailing. Right? What did Paul know about sailing? Paul was a Pharisee. Paul was a, a Jew. But the one thing Paul did know was God. He knew the Lord. And I'm going to tell you, be on guard. Be aware in the days that you and I live in of just relying on the experts, on those that have great experience, on the crowd or the majority. If they are not in agreement with God, they're wrong. They are wrong. Because God is always right. And so... It was natural for them not to listen to Paul, but if they had known where Paul was who Paul was relying on, where Paul was getting his information, they would have realized it was a no-brainer. They should have listened to Paul. And uh, in, in picking this up in, in verse 10, it says, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end in disaster and much loss. Uh, not only the cargo and the ship, but also lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman, the captain, the owner of the ship, and by the things spoke than the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable for winter, the majority advised to set sail. So that is what happened, and then we see what happened from there. And we're going to start looking at this. We're going to look at a lot of scripture today. We're going to see four anchors. We won't see them today, but we're going to see four anchors that secured Paul in very difficult times. And I might say probably more difficult than what you and I face. And these are the same anchors that we need. And understand that we're, there are not just a limitation of four. There's no limit to the anchors of hope that you can have in your life if you know what the Word of God says and you know who God is. And so in verse 13 it says, And the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire, they put out to sea, and they sailed close to Crete. 
But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurachlodon. Now, again, what are, what are they being directed by? What are they being guided by? Look at verse 13. The wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained whose desire? Folks, I know we all have our desires, but our desires are not as good as God's desires. You know, there are a lot of desires that we have that will lead us into things that will rob us and imprison us from the very things God has set us free from and for. And so they had thought they'd obtained their desires, so they put out to sea, but not long after this, another translation says, a hurricane forced wind, a nor'easter, came upon them. Isn't that like what we experience sometimes? We think everything's the way we want it. It's working out. You know, a lot of Christians are not led by the Holy Spirit or the Word of God. They're led by circumstance and situation. They put out what we would call fleeces. Well, God, if this is you, open the door. Well, you know, the Bible says God will open doors no man can close. But guess what? God's not the only one that opens doors. You know, you're going to walk through a lot of doors that may not be God if all you're doing is walking through open doors. That's why it takes more than what just goes on out there because the enemy can manipulate circumstance and situation. And you and I have to have the witness of the Holy Spirit. Remember that it says the God of all hope would fill us with, the God of hope would fill us with all joy and peace and believing. That we would abound to even more hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in residence in you as a child of God. He's the one that God has designed to guide you. We're supposed to be led by the Spirit. And when we're led by the Spirit, when Holy Spirit has his way, and Holy Spirit is who? God, right? God. When Holy Spirit has his way, there's fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, just the first three. If we had that overflowing in our life, our life would be much different. And that's why we need to have Holy Spirit guiding us. We need to be willing to listen to and look for the guidance of Holy Spirit. And understand when Holy Spirit does guide us, it always aligns with the Word of God. It's never contrary to the Word of God or to the, the principles of God's kingdom. And so we can't just be led by the soft wind, thinking we obtained our desire, and all of a sudden this hurricane force wind comes and grips us. He goes on to say, so when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. Once we're caught, we're not being led by God, and we're caught in the enemy's storms. He's going to drive you as far as he can and bring us to that place of destruction because the, enemy says, the Bible says the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. And running under the shelter of the island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. Now, I, I just want to stop here because this word skiff... What do you see on, on, on ships when they're going out to sea, like these passenger ships or, or cruise liners? All along the side, don't you usually see something hanging off the side? That's right, lifeboats. That's what this is. It's a lifeboat. And, and you know, we do that, but what good? Now, just think about this. What good is a lifeboat going to be to you in a storm that's tossing a big boat, you're going to get into a little boat that's more unstable and feel safer? I have to tell you, that's man's plan. Man has plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. But I want you to know, God only has one plan. And there's no need for lifeboats. Because we never need to leave God's ship. The moment we move out from where God has for us to be or what God has for us to do, we're, we're, 
We're jumping from what the world would say from the frying pan into the fire. There's never anything better we can do than stay on track with God. You know, we have a, a phrase in the world we hear, don't just stand there, do something. That can get us into a world of trouble if it's not God-directed. We're not supposed to just do something. We're supposed to wait on God. We're supposed to trust in God. We're supposed to have confidence in God. And many times we, we don't because we don't have any anchors. And so we're adrift. We're, we're, we're frantic. We're desperate. But we never have to be frantic or desperate or stressed out or overwhelmed when we're trusting in God. Because God is not a man that he would lie. What he has said, he's promised he'll do. He'll watch over his word to perform it. It goes on the same verse 17, when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground on the uh, sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because they were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Talk about desperate. And we can all get in these storms where we become so desperate, we're starting to throw things away that once were very useful to us. you got to be careful of what you get rid of when you're panicking. And as a child of God, we shouldn't be panicking in any situation. But it goes on to say, Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us. So, no sun or stars. How did they navigate? How did they know where they were going or where they were on a ship? By those two things. So, no sun, no stars, didn't know where they were going, didn't know where they were. There had to be great confusion. How many of you know when there's confusion, there is a real, real tendency for fear to take grip? And they were beaten, beaten, beaten by the storm. I'm watching people get beaten up by the enemy and, and become desperate, become confused. Let go of things that, that they once knew were, were important and helpful. And it go, goes on to say, all, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. These people became hopeless. And I want you to know in the world that we live in, that is one of the most prevailing perspectives of people. On a regular basis, people are becoming hopeless. Hopeless about all sorts of things. And and turning to whatever they think might give them some sort of security. But understanding this, they don't understand and we don't understand when we turn to anything other than God. Because the only one that is always stable and secure is God. He's faithful. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's secure. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the scripture says, the spirit of the Lord raises up a standard. What is a standard? It's something that is unchanging and immovable. There's only one standard in the world that we live in, God and his word. And that's why we can't fall prey to all these other things, what popular opinion is, uh, what we think is the best, what somebody else thinks is the best, what the experts say. If all of these things or any of these things don't line up with God, we cannot afford to embrace it. Hello? It goes on to say, verse 21, but after a long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. How do you think that those guys took that? You know, come on, Paul. Think about what you're saying. Think about how desperate these people are. And now you're telling them I told you so? I'm, you know what? I'm sure that got their attention. All of a sudden, they are, they are at their wit's end. And Paul says, you guys, 
I told you this would happen. Didn't I tell you? And I'm sure every one of them, if they weren't facing him, they turned towards him and they were glued on him because they wanted to take him apart. But he had their attention. And look what he does. He says, now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God who I, of whom I belong and to whom I serve, saying, don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all the, those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as he told me. So right here, we see that they're desperate. Paul kind of pokes them. They all turn to look at him, and what's, what's he say? Take heart. Another translation says, take courage, or be encouraged. The only way we're going to be encouraged is to have hope. And he's telling them, this is what needs to happen. With everything you're looking at, you need to be encouraged. But to be encouraged, you've got to have hope. And, and we're going to look at what the anchors of hope were that Paul had in place in his life before that moment. How many of you know, when you get into a situation, you better be prepared? That's why the Bible says we need to be prepared to give an answer for the hope we have to everyone that asks. Be prepared. You know, that's the motto of the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts and the Cub Scouts and anybody who is not going to be overwhelmed by what they're facing. Be prepared. And the only way we can truly be prepared is to know God and to know his word and to believe it. And so he's, he's telling them, take heart, take heart. Be encouraged. And then he tells them there's going to be no loss of life. And then he says, for there stood by me in this night an angel of God. Now, we're going to see that there is, a, there are four anchors that Paul is depending on to keep him solid and secure in the midst of everything coming apart and everybody else freaking out. Folks, in, in the Bible, the Bible tells us in the days that we're living in, it's not going to get easier. It's not going to get brighter. But we are going to grow stronger and brighter in the world that's growing darker. And that comes because we put our confidence in God. The Bible says, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Put your trust in God. And wherever we have fear, wherever we're overwhelmed by stress, we don't have the, the hope in God that we should. And that should be a, a quick indication of what's going on. And so in verse 22, it says, Take heart, for there will be no loss of life. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go, go to the next one. I'm sorry, John. We see right here where they became hopeless in verse 20. In verse 22, he begins to, to tell them to take hope. And then in verse 23, uh, it says this. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve. These are the first two anchors. And, and when you look at that, you say, well, well yeah, what's the anchor there? Was Paul alone? No, he had all sorts of people around him that were acting and, and believing all sorts of things. But the one that affected him more than anybody else was God. There stood by him an angel of God. That represented God's presence with him. Now, this is something that is, is probably true for all of us, that we encounter situations, and initially what happens is we react. 
it's just natural to react. There, there's something that happens we didn't expect, and all of a sudden, fear comes at us. We get panicky. But that should be just a reaction, and we should begin to realign ourselves, refocus ourselves. You and I don't know what's about to happen. God does. And so things take us by surprise, but they shouldn't take control of us. And that momentary start or just reaction should quickly give way to our realignment and refocus on God because God's with us. There is nothing since the day Jesus became Lord of our lives, nothing, nothing, nothing that we face that God wasn't there ready, willing, and able to help us. And when I say that, I realize how much time I've spent foolishly concerned or worried or stressed about things I didn't have to be. But the reason why I did was because I did not immediately reboot, realign with the truth that would cause hope to rise up in me no matter what I faced of God being with me. And that is something that I am telling you right now, it should be the number one anchor in your life. That you are aware that God is with you. If you're not convinced, confidently expecting that God is with you, just absolutely know that God's with you, then none of the rest of it is going to work really well. Because if you aren't sure God's there or he cares, well, you're going to be unsure. Well, how can, we, how can we be sure that God's there and he cares? Where do we find about who God is? And what he said. Where, what's our reference? The Bible. And that's the reason why every time you go to get into the Bible, the enemy brings up all sorts of things to distract you and to persuade you that there are other things that are more important. There's nothing. There's nothing more important in our lives than getting to know God, who he is, and that he is always with us. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus said these words. He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Who is he saying this to? The disciples. All right, the disciples that were there. These are, are the last words of Jesus before he, he uh, heads up to heaven. I'm with you always even to the end of the age. Now, if he says he's with us always, what does that give us a clear understanding of that he is never not going to be there? But we don't always remember it. We don't always reference that. It'd be one thing if God was always there, but he didn't care, and we had to convince him to do good. But the Bible tells us that God... It's God's good pleasure to give us his kingdom. That God gives us everything that pertains to life and godliness. God's word says, we being evil parents know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more so does our heavenly father want to give good gifts to us? Folks, I don't know what you've heard, what you've been taught, or what you think about God. But if it's not that he's good, he's there and wants to help you. Not do what you and I want to do, but do what he has to do because it's best. Then we need to make some adjustments. We need to really build into us that anchor of hope that he's there and that he is a good God. It says to the end of the age, amen. Anybody know what amen means? If God says so be it, it will be. But we have to choose if it will be that in our lives. We've got to believe it. 
In John chapter 14, verse 18 and 23, these are the words of Jesus. He said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And I have to tell you, there is such an orphan spirit in, in the body of Christ. We, we, we are so fragile and so fractured and so frail because we, we don't recognize that our God is not leaving us. We're not out there to fend for ourselves. If an orphan is out there on their own, what do they have to do for, to make sure they survive? Everything, right? Who do they depend on? Themselves. And that's when we start to act out with this orphan mentality. I'm on my own. I've got to take care of me. And yet God's right there, your heavenly father. He never leaves you. And he, he, he has done that through his spirit. And if anyone loves me, he will keep my words. That's, we could spend a lot of time there, but we won't. My father will love him and we will come and make our home with him. Our residence. And it's not like us. We, we, we have a home, we, we live there, but we go all sorts of places. But when he says that, he's saying, I'm going to reside there forever. I'm not going to ever leave. I'm not going to ever leave or abandon. Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6, bear this out. It says, never leave you nor forsake you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. He'll never leave us or forsake us. It's interesting he used those two words. Um, because when, when it says leave, that word leave, or leave means to desert or to let go of. He's never going to desert you. He's never going to let go of you. Understand, no matter whether you feel him, whether you're aware of him or not, he is there. He's holding you. He's with you. He's for you. And, and the word forsake. That word means to abandon. But sometimes we feel like, God, where are you? What are you doing? Where'd you go? Because we equate peace of circumstance with the presence of God. If God's here, everything's going to be peaceful. No. In the world, you'll have tribulation. Another promise of Jesus. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. You and I are going to have all sorts of things that are going to be battles. But he is with you. He has not turned away from you. In the midst of those battles, you have to choose to refocus on the fact that God is there. That God has not left. So many times we think... We look at people's lives, and we even look at our own lives and say, you know, th these battles, these, these things that are going on, these struggles that I'm having, you know, God, why did you leave? Or we see people going through a difficult time in their life, and we think, you know, they've, they've, they're off track with God. Not necessarily. God will never leave. And this is something you and I have to build in ourselves. This is an anchor a confident expectation we ought to have every time, whenever anything happens, we know God's there. That's our first turn to, God, you're here. You're here. Doesn't the Bible say in Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God? If you don't know that, read that. Read the last part of chapter 8 of Romans and see what he says can't separate us from the love of God or from God himself. And this isn't just true for the New Testament. This is true in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6, or 31, verse 6 says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid. Now, that first part is what God is saying to us. Be strong and of good courage. Be full of hope, a confident expectation. Be encouraged. 
when, when you fall into these diverse trials and tests and battles and, and whatever you face, be confident because you don't face it alone. Don't be afraid. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. God's the same. He's not changed. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to forsake his people. But we have to believe that. Psalm 16, verse 8 through 9. says, I have set the Lord always before me. You know, that's where God should always be. He always ought to be before us. He ought to be the first one we reference, we look to, we consider. And that's not natural, but it's something we can come to do. We can train ourselves to do that. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be what? Moved. I'm not going to be moved. I'm not going to have my feet taken out from under me. I'm not going to be dragged along with the current of this world of fear or division or all the other things that are going on. I'm not going to be moved. I'm going to be secure, stable, strong, hope-filled, joy-filled, peace-filled. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices for my flesh also rests in what? You can rest. You can rest, rest, rest in hope. The Bible tells, tells us that Israel did not enter into the rest of faith. When you and I begin to put our roots down and have faith in God, there is this hope and this rest that occurs it's like being in the eye of a hurricane. When, when my grandparents lived down in Florida, we had visited them and, and went down. It kind of was like what happened to Paul. We went down to the Keys. We drove down farther to the Keys only to find out there was a hurricane coming up the Gulf. And so we quickly turned around with thousands of our best, closest friends and got on the road to head north. And we got just to where my grandparents were on Siesta Key uh, on the Gulf Coast. And we stayed there. And the hurricane came along. And it was interesting because the eye passed over. And it was strange because when the, the hurricane was coming, the winds blew one direction and then everything was calm. And we went outside. We thought, well, this is, this is great. It's over. But it wasn't. And then the winds blew the opposite way. But when you're in the eye of the storm, it's absolutely calm. And there are going to be storms that are going to go on and rage all around you, but God's going to keep you calm in the midst of it. If you and I will choose to believe him, to, to have hope, a confident expectation that no matter how hard the winds blow, no matter what happens, you know, Psalm 91 talks about uh, those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now say of the Lord, He is their refuge. And He is their fortress. A thousand may fall at their left hand and ten thousand at their right, but it will not come near them. You don't know what's going on with anybody else, but you can be sure if you'll trust in God, He'll care and take care of you in the midst of whatever you're experiencing. Now, right now, there's a battle going on. Right here, right now, with each one of you. Whether you're going to be so radical to believe God and not have a lifeboat. Not have a plan B. That you're going to trust God and follow God no matter what. And I will tell you, that is, that is very difficult for us, humanly speaking, because we want to have options. But how many options do servants have with their masters? And you think about that. You think about a master and a servant, and you think they're just controlling them. But I want you to know your master, 
the Lord Jesus Christ isn't looking to control you in a way that would rob you or deplete you, but that control that, that would be given to him with all of your life, with all of my life, would enhance our life and cause us to experience the abundant life that Jesus gave his life for. But will you be so radical, so bold, so dedicated, so disciplined that you say, all right, God, I'm cutting loose the lifeboats. Because every lifeboat we have in our life, every plan B, now I'm not saying don't plan things out, but don't put them before God. The Bible says man plans his way, but God directs his steps. God always has the last say. We're supposed to take stock before we go to war, before we build a house. Do your homework, but don't let your homework own you. Don't let your spreadsheet own you. The only one that should own you and me is Jesus. Because he's the only one that we can count on that every time, not most of the time, every time has the best plan for us. Without exception. And that's why every time we have a lifeboat or a plan B, it's an indication we aren't fully trusting in God. Have those, those things that you're aware of, but always put them at the feet of Jesus. Don't make them, well, if this doesn't happen, then this, you're already vacillating between two. Put your faith strongly in the word of God and in God and who he is and, wh and what he does. My flesh will also rest in hope. Isaiah 43, verse 2 through 3 says this. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they'll not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you, for I am the Lord your God. This is a promise made to Israel. If God is going to make that promise to, to Israel, he'll make that promise to you and me. He's going to be with you. Now, now look at this with me and, and see. It says, when you pass through the waters and through the rivers, and when you walk through the fire, do you notice that it doesn't say if? Because it's not a question, you will. You're going to go through the waters, you're going to go through the fires. But know this. He says, when you go, what? Through. God is a through God. And if what God has promised it hasn't happened yet, he's not through and neither are you. He's going to bring you through and into He said, I'll be with you. They'll not overflow you. For I am the Lord, your God. You know, it's interesting when you listen to somebody else talk and they have a great confidence, a great hope in God. And, and all of a sudden, we want to have that same thing, but we haven't done the work that they've done to build that into our lives because we don't know what the Word of God says. And so we have, we have hope in their hope. Folks, hope in somebody else's hope is not hope. Because that hope has to be founded on faith, and faith is found in the Word of God. You've got to know what the Word of God says for you. I've got to know what the Word of God says for me. The days of relying on what somebody else said are gone. You can't rely on what somebody else said unless they're quoting Scripture to you and you begin to build that Scripture into you. These are the hours that we have to study to show ourselves approved. We have to truly build the word of God into us as, as an anchor, as, as a solid rock that the word is. Remember the story about the house where the rains came and the floods came on two houses and one fell and one stood and the only difference was one was founded on the rock. And, and what Jesus equated that to was doing the word of God. Knowing the word and doing the word of God. 
You've got to know the word and do the word of God. It's so important. Last scripture I want to share with you is Isaiah 41, verse 10. It says, fear not, for I'm with you. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my right, my righteous right hand. Now, these scriptures that I've given you are all promises about God being present with you. I've done homework for you. You now have a few scriptures that you can absolutely count on when you go through something knowing that God's there. But there is so much more in the Bible. And you need to do that. And what you need to do with these is you need to begin to meditate. You need to memorize these, begin to meditate on these, begin to build these into your life that when these storms come, we realize we're not facing them alone. Just that, that you're facing something and God's right there should bring a peace, a confident expectation that God can have his way. But this is the first anchor that we are absolutely confident that God's with us. He hasn't left us. No matter what it feels like, no matter what it seems, no matter what we see, no matter what we hear, no matter what we feel, that we're more convinced that God is with us than any of that. He said, fear not, I'm with you. When we know he's with us, there's no fear in us. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. And he's not just a God, he's your God. He'll strengthen you, he'll help you. And it's, he says this, I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. God's going to hold you up. And it says he's going to hold you up with his righteous right hand. That doesn't mean a lot to us if we don't study what the Word of God says. But when Jacob or Israel was blessing sons and grandsons, he would put his right hand of blessing on the one that he was going to bless. This righteous right hand that he's going to uphold you with, it's God's hand of blessing. He's holding you with blessings. Why does God want to bless us? Because God, just like he told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And blessing you, I'm going to make you a blessing to all the other people. God wants to bless you. God is looking for opportunity to bless you, but not it end with you. So that you and I would receive the blessing of God and then begin to expand the blessing of God to all those around us. That goodness, that blessing, that life, that love, that joy, that peace, all of those things. Because that's going to cause people to turn to, towards you. But they're really turning towards the goodness of God. They're being drawn towards him. And this is the hour that this needs to happen. This is the first anchor. We're going to look at four more that are so evident here. And we're going to see what the Bible says about it and what we can count on. But again, this, this requires us not just coming to church on a Sunday and saying, oh, you know, that was, that was an interesting message. Oh, I like this. I like that. And going away and forgetting. It is necessary in the hours and the days that we're living in with the circumstances and situations going all, on all around us that we would really be anomalies in our society. We would be people of, of hope. We would be not only filled with hope, but we would give an answer and we'd be able to encourage other people because we didn't just hear a great story from somebody, but we know what the word of God says. We know what God said and we know God watches over his word to perform it. And you may say, well, you know, this is pretty intense. Yeah, we're living in intense times. I, I would not be faithful to God or faithful to you if, if I just gave you some sort of tidbit and just said, oh, have a great day. Part of what my role is or anybody standing here or anybody teaching you is to prepare you to go out and do the work of the ministry. And to do that work, we have to be built up. We have to be rock solid and secure. And it means that there's a work you have to do. And that's building this into you. I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I pray right now for all of us.
I include myself most of all, Father. I want, I want to be more solid and secure and established and built up in you. But Father, I know that's not magical or mystical. I, I know that it's going to take me studying to show myself approved, digging into your word, meditating on your word that, that as, as you have encouraged others, memorizing your word. Father, that I would come to that place of really believing more than the things I previously believed that weren't true. But Father, they would replace and root out those things that aren't true. And our lives would be established on the rock. And the winds and waves and storms will come, but will not be moved. And we'll help others learn to look to you and trust in you and know who you are and believe in who you are. That they too would not be moved. Lord, forgive me and forgive any of us that have not spent our, our time as wisely. Father, it's not that you expect us uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week to be studying your word, but Father, I've not used my, my time as wisely as I could have. I ask you to forgive me for wasting time on trivial things. You want us to be able to enjoy things. But Father, there are some things that I need to lay aside, and I know. I know you're going to speak to me about that. And Father, I pray just as you've had me pray that we would truly hunger and thirst after you and have a longing and desire for your word like never before. That Father, we would, we would truly consume your word and build it into us and then share your word always in love. But Father, that there would be an ongoing transformation in our lives that would show that not that we just name Jesus as Lord, but he truly is Lord of all. And because of his Lordship, we're stable and secure and established and hope-filled because you're always with us. We thank you, Father, for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? That story I told you at the beginning of the service about a person in this congregation that, um, that had that experience with those people, um, I wasn't going to explain, but I'm, I'm going to now. I feel like I'm supposed to. That was me. And um, this so impacted these people that they, they were so aware that there was an adjustment they needed to make in their life as far as truly trusting God truly beginning to have, have real confidence or real hope in God like never before, and it would take work on their part. But they don't go to church, and I don't know if they'll ever go to church. I'm hoping they will. But if they draw near to God, you know, that's going to be a big help to them. Um, they were also very impacted, so much so that I got called by the husband a few days later, and man of faith that I am, I thought, oh, no, they've gotten a bad report. I'm just being honest because the enemy comes at all of us. And, and I realized that's not right, and I, I stopped and I said, okay, I, Lord, I know you're with them. I know no matter what report they hear, you're bigger than any report. So I'm just believing that you know, you, they're going to see your goodness in the land of the living. And I got up to where this, this man works, and and he said, I don't want any arguments. I want you to just hear me out. And I thought, oh, man. And he said, God has been all over me. He's been, he told me this when I got out of surgery and when I was driving back from Boston. And this morning he woke me up and he told me I needed to do this. And the next thing he did was he handed a check over to me for the church for $5,000. And I told him, I, I didn't do this for anything like that. God, God is not looking for you to feel like you owe anybody anything. He's the one that freely and fully loves you and wants to give you this abundant life. And he said, no, no. I want you and your church 
to use this in some way to help people because God has certainly helped me. And you know what? That's what God wants. God wants us going out and helping people in all sorts of ways. And every one of us can do this. And there are no lack of opportunities all around us. And so, Father, I thank you for every one of your children here. I thank you for the week that's ahead. I thank you that you go ahead of us and prepare the way. But, Father, you also have God appointments, God incidences, not coincidences, a God incidence, where you're going to speak to our hearts. You're going to nudge us and give us an understanding that, man, we, we may need to go see somebody or call somebody or step out of our comfort zone and just talk to that person and, and let them know God loves them and God's got something good for them. Father, help us to put ourselves aside enough to be able to put you first and not be concerned about what anybody else thinks, but truly allow your lordship to guide and guard and govern in our life. And Father, as you do, I thank you that we're going to see your kingdom come and your will done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, thank you that you go before us and prepare the way and that you're our rear guard, that you uphold us with your right hand of righteousness, your hand of blessing. And you cover us. Cover us with your songs of love and of victory and of faithfulness and of deliverance and of life. But Father, we go out surrounded by you, but also indwelt by you. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, everyone said, have a great week.